Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. And as I've shared with you recently, we're getting more questions from people about buying life insurance than has ever happened. I I can't recall in my 33 years doing this show ever having the number of questions about life insurance that we have had. And so I want to tell you about a development in the life insurance industry that is significant because of industries that are resistant to change and stuck in their ways, there's really no industry that fits that more than the insurance industry. It is one that is uh, really so afraid of risk that it becomes paralyzed and unwilling to change. But the current health emergency is bringing about changes quicker than I've ever seen in my whole life for an industry. And an example of this is with these increasing number of questions I'm getting about life insurance. Historically, with life insurance, when you buy a policy, it is months from when you go to buy that policy till it's actually in force. The reason? It's a bureaucratic quagmire traditionally with life insurance. And what happens is in the old model, you would have somebody cold call you, try to get you an an appointment with you to talk about your future needs or whatever euphemisms they'd use other than saying they were a life insurance salesperson. You would meet with that individual and then they would pitch you on why you should have life insurance. You would hem and haw, maybe decide. So let's say you decided, okay, yeah, I'll buy this. Then there's a long drawn out application followed by a wait of typically a month for a medical professional to show up and take blood work from you and other things and vital signs and blood pressure and all that. And they're trying to find out how likely you are to have this problem or that problem or the other problem. Because when they're selling you insurance, they want you to live to be a zillion because they don't want to issue you a big policy. And right after it becomes real, suddenly you're a huge claim. So that's why they've always done this thing with the uh, medical testing. And then the report goes back in. And then I don't know if they rearrange their paper clips or whatever. But then like a month after that, they say, hurrah, you have a policy. Well, you think about everything else we do in life is bam, bam, bam. Why would it take that long to complete a transaction like that? Well, why indeed? Well, starting about four years ago, I was able to start telling you about companies that did instant issue of life insurance, where they used industry databases to check on your medical history, use deep data to calculate what risk you represented, and then issue policies. And it was a backwater of the insurance industry because, again, it's an industry that does not adapt to change. But that all has changed because of coronavirus, because nobody is waiting around for some salesperson to come do an in-person pitch, and nobody wants to let in that person to take all your 
blood and all that. And so insurer after insurer now starting to offer policies for instant issue where they waive the medical exam. Typically, you have to be under an age threshold. You have to be under 50, under 60, or at the outside, under 65, with companies that will write these policies where they rely on industry databases to decide your relative risk to them, and then they instant issue that policy if the medical comes back okay. It is an enormously positive change because consumers are overwhelmingly underinsured for their lives, leaving their loved ones, spouse, partner, children, whatever, at great risk in the event that they pass away during their prime working years. And so people don't buy it because they hate the way it's sold. But now that you can buy electronically, it totally changes the picture and it makes it much easier for you to buy coverage. We have a guide for you about how to do this at Clark.com, but there's a real bias I have, and I'll lay it right out to you. I only write about how to buy what's known as level term insurance. It's the insurance that's appropriate probably for 95% of us. It only pays a death benefit. There's no fancy investments to it or crazy tax strategies, or savings accounts. It just pays in the event you pass away. Easy to comparison shop, easy to buy, and now with instant issue, once you make the decision, if you pass the electronic health underwriting, you decide today, you have a policy today or within a week. Now, I want you to post questions for me at clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel are alternating, asking your questions. And Kim, who do you have first? This is from Angie in Minnesota. She says, hi, Clark. Thanks for all you're doing to help us during this crazy time. Also, by the way, I love the new format. It allows you to provide so much more information. And frankly, that's what we're all here for. Okay, here's my question. I applied for... But Angie, Angie, don't you think people wanted to hear you and hear your personality and all that more than likely i'm going to speak for angie probably yes but also you do get to a lot more information now and overwhelmingly i think people are willing to make the trade-off okay all right so here's angie's question i applied for an eidl advance weeks and weeks and weeks ago i never heard anything more about it not even an email confirming that i had applied i assumed my application had disappeared into the ether and frankly i forgot about it but i was pleasantly surprised to discover one thousand dollars had been deposited into my account this week i'm glad to have it i need the money but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with the money. Do I have to pay this back at some point? Do I have to take out an EIDL loan in order to keep it? What type of documentation should I be keeping? There's really no guidance on this. Well, Angie, the SBA programs have changed so much. And I want to tell you where we sit right now with the IDLE. The IDLE originally was for all comers now has morphed to only being for agricultural businesses. 
don't know what kind of business you're in, but it's $1,000 as essentially a grant or an, a non, uh, an advance you don't have to pay back, and it's per employee up to 10. So if you're a one-person entity, you get $1,000. If you're a four-person entity, you get $4,000. And the grant you've gotten, the advance you've gotten, is likely the only time you're ever going to hear from the SBA. Now, if you were not an agricultural business, then you're done. You just get to keep that money. If you are running an agricultural business of some kind, then you may, in fact, hear from them about your application for additional funding. So this one is one that I've been kind of twisted like a pretzel over trying to understand the twists and turns with the idol, but it looks like where we are now is where the program is going to be is a more limited one geared strictly towards the farming community. Joel? Clark Bruce in Alaska says, I'm currently 16 years into a 30-year mortgage, which I hope to pay off a little bit earlier. I've got two credit cards, personal and business, on which I carry no balance month to month, and an auto loan, which will be paid off in three months. My credit score fluctuates somewhere between 825 and 850, depending on which number. Show off. That's pretty good, right? He says, my question, when I pay off the auto loan in a few months, I'm concerned it will adversely affect my credit score. Would it make sense for me to open another credit card in order to maintain more available credit? Uh, it's it's a good idea for you, since you're a net payer, to have at least two cards, the two cards you have hopefully from different issuers. But with the fact that banks have been closing people's accounts without notice and reducing credit lines in huge numbers, uh, last I read 50 million people have had suddenly their credit card lines reduced, I would recommend that you apply for another card not related to the issue of your auto loan being paid off. But there's something I would like you to do more based on what you said. You are in basically a 14-year mortgage at this point, having originally been in a 30, and you would benefit mightily, particularly somebody who wants to pay it off early, going to a credit union, and doing a 10-year mortgage. 10-year mortgages are only issued by credit unions. Uh, I say almost only. You may find occasionally somewhere else you can get one. But 10-year mortgages carry exceptionally low interest rates. Mortgage rates, even for 15-year loans, are at record lows. And you would be on a straight-line path to pay off the remaining balance of that loan in just 10 years' time instead of the 14 you have, but at a much lower rate. But if you do proceed with that, do not do the um, new credit card. Any applications for credit before doing a mortgage refi or a mortgage will hurt you on that mortgage. So it would be, if you do decide to proceed that way, get the credit card after you do the refi. You didn't even ask me about, but I want you to do. Kim? Dave in South Carolina, we're going to stick on the mortgage topic for a second, says, is it better to make an extra payment a year on your mortgage or to pay an extra $200 or so each and every month? We'd like to try to get it paid off early. Definitely the 200 every month. 
The reason is that essentially re-amortizes your loan every single month instead of at the end of the year. You'll have more impact on the length of your loan and the total interest you'll pay if you pay that extra amount as additional principal each month instead of doing so once a year. It's, the math is really, really strong in favor of you doing that. And then for you, I would make the same statement I made prior. There may be an advantage to you doing a refi for a shorter term loan than paying extra towards the loan you already have with interest rates being so exceedingly low right now. Joel? Clark Christie in Florida says, I'm a grandmother that would like to obtain life insurance for my grandson and wanted your advice on what company would be best to purchase it from. The policy that I'd like to get for him is one that's whole life and builds cash value. However, I've read that some policies, uh, the premiums never change, and then some say that the premium is only good for five years. I want to make sure I'm making the right decision when choosing the policy and also to do something for my grandson that when he turns of age, he'll have the option to keep the policy or to cash it in. Well, you are a very kind grandmom to do this for your grandson. And I would discourage you from doing whole life at all as the way you would move money to your grandson. I would much rather you open what's known as a custodial account that your grandson would have control over at adulthood, which would depend typically at 18 or 21. And I would like you to look at an account like at Fidelity Investments, where you could open a investment account for your grandson, you control it for his benefit, and do one of the zero index funds. I would like the total stock market index fund. The reason I like this is it has no ongoing costs, no commissions, and no minimum. So you can add to it over time as you can afford to for your grandson. And that money would grow quite nicely over the years, might not in the immediate years, but ultimately would do quite well. And you'd give a wonderful nest egg that would be available to him as a young adult. And the other thing I would mention is if the culture in your family is that he's likely to go to college, I'd rather you look at opening what's known as a 529 account for him. You can find a good explanation of how that works if you go check out my 529 plan guide at Clark.com and I'll walk you through how to buy it. If you do consider the Fidelity Investments thing I mentioned, go look at my investment guide also at Clark.com so you'll know how to proceed with that. Today's Clark Rave, our moment of positive news, is a follow-up on something I shared with you many weeks ago, and it's about a restaurant owner who was broke at her business and was going to have to lay off her employees. She's so loyal to her employees that she actually sold her own personal vehicle, her Mustang, in order to see that employees would get paid. Her name is Charity Sailors. Sailors. Sorry, I'll get that right at some point. And so Charity did this, it got publicity, and then guess what's happened now because of her incredible sacrifice 
to keep money going to her employees. Somebody donated her a vehicle. A Volkswagen dealership called Savannah Volkswagen gave her a 2017 Toyota RAV4 inspired by her story. I mean, the goodness we're seeing in so many people in rough times is really heartening. So glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And we have had such an unusual cycle of unemployment. There's never been in my lifetime a recession that so heavily tilted unemployment towards women. In fact, economists often will refer to recessions as man sessions because employment, unemployment tends to spike with men, this time very heavily with women. And also, the unemployment we've had has been in very specific industries because of the nature of trying to make sure that people are, in fact, able to physically space apart and things like that. A lot of activities that normally go on just aren't happening. So it's led to a dramatic change in employment in just several big fields, but very specific parts of the economy with large chunks of the economy either largely unaffected or not affected at all. So this time may call for a different kind of job search as we go through periods of recovery than what you may have historically done. If you go back to the Great Recession, it was the first recession where people looked for jobs in big numbers electronically. And I'm going to use an expression now that most people, if you're under age 40, you're not even going to know what I'm talking about. People used to look for jobs through what were known as want ads. So in prehistoric times, people read something called a paper, actually printed on paper. It was delivered to your home or you bought it at a convenience store or something like that. And in that paper, the most profitable part of it were the one ads. And when employers were seeking workers, they would post by job category what they were trying to fill a job for. Well, then when we came to this era of electronic employment uh, job sites, they were broad waterfront, very heavily like you go to them to look for any kind of job. They were not doing what happened in the prior era where you went specifically to the industry classification where your experience is or your interest is or whatever where you're looking. Well, now, fast forward to today with a recession that's very highly concentrated in certain fields. There are now um, job platforms, electronic job platforms, that are industry-oriented. So when you're looking at a specific kind of industry, 
instead of going to a general interest job site, go to one that that's what it specializes in. This started with technology jobs. That was the first area where there were specific job search um, sites that you could go to when you had technical expertise in various parts of software development or things like that involving the technology industry. Now, considering where unemployment has been so high, there are several that are available for people in the general hospitality industry. You know, restaurants, hotels, that kind of thing. There are others that specialize in healthcare. Because one of the oddities of what's going on right now with unemployment is even though this is a medical event, huge number of people in healthcare have been laid off because people have been afraid to go to the doctor for conditions that they have or even routine visits. So that's an area where there's a lot of job sites. Uh, retail, not so much, but there, there's one that specializes in retail. There are ones for construction. There's one I've talked about before for uh, military veterans that are shifting to civilian life. It's called Shift. And we've got a briefing for you at Clark.com of these specialty job sites or platforms that you should look at. And this research was done originally by Andreessen Horowitz. If you know who they are, uh, it's a big uh, Silicon Valley organization. And they did really, really nice research on the depths of unemployment, the areas, and how people are going to be able to look for new jobs. In fact, in our briefing on these specialty sites, we have a link for you to the full in-depth research done by Andreessen Horowitz so you can see information that may help you in your job search for your next opportunity. And we're alternating asking your questions that you posted at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel asking your questions. Who's up first? That'll be me, and this is from Scott in Florida. He says, I'm interested in buying silver. There are so many ads on TV for this. What's the best way to go about it? And do you recommend silver as a small investment? So silver is not nearly as popular for people to buy as gold, but silver is a very reasonable holding to have as part of a hedge. Now, as I've explained in the past, and you may or may not have heard me say, I'm not into you having gold and silver as a core investment. It is really something that is like an insurance policy when the world gets all messed up. And so a lot of people worrying about that like to have the actual physical thing the silver gold coins whatever but you pay enormous spreads what are known as buy sell spreads and lately there have been enormous markups for you as a buyer where you're paying way above way way above the intrinsic value of silver or gold when you do buy coins so what i recommend instead is that you buy what's known as exchange traded funds where you buy 
um, somebody else dealing with having the ownership, in your case of silver, they're responsible for storing it, and there are a couple that I can tell you that are available, one that is not very well known and not big at all, in fact, there's not even a billion dollars of silver in it, is the Aberdeen Standard Physical Silver Shares ETF. Um, I know that's a mouthful. The trading symbol is SIVR. Now, the one that's mostly well-known, the reason I mentioned that one is the expense ratio on it is tiny. It's 0.3 of a percent. And then there's the iShare Silver Trust, which is the big one that has many, many billions of dollars worth of silver in it, but it has an expense ratio of half a percent. Look at both of them and see which one feels more comfortable, but it's much better for you to own a fund than to own the actual uh, physical silver yourself. Now, I have a, on Clark.com, I have a guide to buying gold funds. If that's something that hearing me talk about this, you're interested in potentially owning gold, I have the explanation online about how to do that. Joel? Clark, Sherry in Tennessee says, Hey Clark, if I only have a limited amount of money to contribute annually to my Roth IRA and my HSA, which one should take precedence over the other? I have my Roth and my HSA at Fidelity. They are not through my employment or through payroll deductions. So which one do you think makes more sense for me? The HSA usually makes more sense because, uh, and this is one that just completely befuddles people, the HSAs are triple tax advantaged, where the Roth IRA is double tax advantaged. So by that, you with an HSA, you potentially get an upfront tax benefit in money that grows tax-free that then is spent tax-free. So with a Roth, you put in after-tax money that grows tax-free and is then spent tax-free. So double tax benefit versus triple. So the advantage of the HSA money that you're putting away is if you can let it grow all through your working lifetime and have it for much later in life, typically in retirement, typically when your medical expenses get higher, you're able to pay those bills fully tax-free through the HSA, which is why that comes first. Having your Roth and your HSA both at Fidelity is a great choice as a much lower cost place in particular to have an HSA. Kim? Alyssa in Georgia says, I've heard you talk about some sort of a guide or organization that retired small business owners use to help new small business owners get started and give them advice. Can you tell me what this is? It's called SCORE. And the website is SCORE.org. That's the Service Corps of Retired Executives. And they volunteer their time to mentor a small business. They normally have seminars available for people that are in person. Right now, they're not doing in-person. But each SCORE chapter has different ways that they're providing advice with live sessions that you do remotely instead of what they used to do in person. And then one of the things they do now is they have recorded 
uh, webinars where you can, if there's a specific topic you are curious on about starting a business or you're in one, you're having problems, you can go look at their library of webinars and see if one of those fits you. They also have on-demand classes that you can take that guide you through various aspects of starting and running a business. And these are people who do this because they love the free enterprise system. Most everything SCORE chapters offer is completely free. The things that they do maybe charge for from time to time are very tiny things like 20 bucks for this seminar or session or whatever. But generally, it's, it's volunteer-based, and most everything they do is free. Joel? Clark Russell in Texas says, what happens to your credit score if a store that you hold a store credit card to ends up closing? What a wonderful question. The good news is that somebody would really, really, really have to mess up for anything untoward to happen to you with credit you have with the store when they close. So stores generally don't run their own credit programs. Very heavily, they're run by what are known as house card vendors. I think the biggest in the United States is one called Synchrony. And they issue a lot of cards for various retailers and businesses. And they're the ones that bill you. They're the ones that collect from you. They're the ones that charge you the interest if you don't pay your balance in full. So usually when a business fails, the house card issuer will not want to lose you as a customer and they will typically send you a, a letter or if you communicate with them electronically, they'll send you an email telling you, hey, so-and-so retailer is closed. If you still wish to maintain this credit, we offer these alternatives for you and we can just issue you our own card in placement of that one. In other cases, the house card issuer may just close out that book of business and you'll get a notice that card is being closed. Store cards are generally considered by credit scoring models to be junk credit and unless you have no traditional general purpose cards like Visa's, MasterCards, American Express, Discover, if that account is closed it will not really have a meaningful impact on you there would be I mean not a lot of points on the other hand if the only card you have is that card and it's closed that would be devastating to your credit score and standing this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance hey listeners whether you love true crime or comedies celebrity interviews news or even motivational speakers you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue right and guess what now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
If you have a question for me, please go to clark.com slash ask to post it. Producer Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Ben in California. He says, first of all, thank you, Clark, for being here with all of us during these very stressful times. All right, my question. You've talked about term insurance for taking care of your family when you're gone. I'm 64. I'm a recovering cancer patient of 10 years now. Life insurance is an insane cost. What about if I was to delay my social security until I pass away so my wife could collect maximum benefits on me? Why don't financial advisors ever talk about that option? Well, first of all, you are a good soul that uh, you're worried you're going to pass away prematurely because of your cancer. And all you're concerned about is making sure your wife is okay. So this is, this is extraordinary on your part. What I would like you to do is I'd like you to buy the software package that will cost you 40 bucks, MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com, and you can buy a personal license where you're able to run the scenarios and figure out how much additional benefit there is net to you as a couple and then to her individually if you were, in fact, to continue to delay your Social Security versus going ahead and taking it now. With maximizing my Social Security, the reason I'm recommending it is that it deals with extremely complex situations. And the fact that you feel you are not going to conquer this cancer and that it's going to shorten your life and you're trying to figure out the best overall math, this is the tool I would use because it's going to take you some time. There's lots of variables you have to plug into it, but I think you'll get to the best right answer, whether you are best waiting to potentially increase her benefit or you're best going ahead and taking money now and then she getting a smaller benefit when you do pass away. Joel? Joel? Clark Jim in Virginia says, I was pre-approved for a car loan. My credit union is offering me 2.2% as a rate, but the dealership is offering a 0% interest rate. Clark, you always say to use the credit union. What should I do in this case? So what I say is always get pre-approved by a credit union, but if the dealer offers you a better deal, the thing you got to see is their cash back you can get on the deal if you choose not to use their financing. If there's not additional money that would flow to you sticking with the credit union, then go ahead and take the 0% from the dealer. That would be, hands down, something better than 2.2%, obviously. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.